Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 20, The Yoko Factor, where Adam and Spike collude and cause trouble. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasecondcareer.com, where you can find articles about writing, marketing, and publishing. As to The Yoko Factor... Today, I'll talk about how this episode is key to the theme of the entire season. Subplots that, unlike in New Moon Rising, feel disconnected from the main storyline. An angel side plot that's very fun, yet slows the pace a bit. And the way this episode sets up Primeval, episode 21, and how these two episodes are really the season four finale. There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. The Yoko Factor aired the first time on May 9, 2000. It was written by Doug Petrie and directed by David Grossman. This is part one of the two-part storyline that serves as the finale. The previously on scenes include... Moments from the Angel episode Sanctuary, where Angel and Buffy argued over faith and punched each other, and Angel told Buffy to go home, get out of his city. So the timeline here is that sometime after the end of the last episode, New Moon Rising, Buffy must have heard about Faith being in California. She went there to warn Angel, encountered Faith. Faith turned herself in, but in Buffy's last conversation with Angel, she told him Faith wins again, and Angel told her to get out and stay away. We start with an opening conflict that here is exposition heavy. A guy in a suit on a video screen talks to the colonel that Buffy captured in the last episode. The colonel says the boys in the initiative are exceptional. Their capture rate keeps increasing, but morale is a problem. He goes on that the low morale is caused by Professor Walsh's death. The prototypes escape. And controlling the HSTs or the hostels who are overcrowding the containment system. When the suit guy says it's quite a mess, the colonel responds, It's not my mess, sir, and says he is overseeing things until the suit decides what to do. The colonel also says that Agent Finn fell in with a bad crowd and that he wasn't the soldier they all hoped he was. All of this is mainly trading information, but at least it is information that the suit doesn't seem to know. The suit now says he wants Riley back, quote, the government's invested a substantial, close quote, the colonel cuts him off and says they'll find Finn, he won't stray far from the girl. The suit says the database doesn't have much on her, and the colonel responds, she's just a girl. At 2 minutes 13 seconds, we cut to Spike, who sighs and says, she's a lot more than that. He, though, is talking to Adam. It's a great segue because the military underestimates Buffy, but Spike does not. 
Adam concedes that the Slayer makes things interesting, and Spike tells him he's not getting it, and goes on, you're going to be interestingly dead. I sort of love that Spike has so much faith in Buffy, but Adam is counting on Buffy being right in the thick of it when things go down, something he more or less also said in the last episode. And we go to credits. I'm not sure why we have so much fill-in-the-blanks in the beginning here. All I can think is that between Where the Wild Things Are and New Moon Rising, we didn't have a huge amount with either the initiative or the Adam versus Buffy season arc. So maybe the writers felt that they needed to do a lot of reminding of the audience what was going on. We return from credits at three minutes, 37 seconds in. Spike is lighting a cigarette as Adam says, two slayers. And I right away was thinking he meant Buffy and Faith, which probably is intentional since this in the Buffyverse timeline comes right after Sanctuary. But what Adam is talking about is the two slayers that Spike killed. Adam is puzzled because if Spike killed two slayers before, why does he fear this one? Spike blames bad luck and the chip in his head, which Adam says makes Spike feel smothered, trapped like an animal. He goes on waxing poetic about Spike's experience and tells Spike he'll make him whole again, set him free to satisfy the land. Spike is quite moved and he says he gets why the demons fall in line for Adam. And Spike continues, you're like Tony Robbins. If he was a big, scary Frankenstein looking, you're exactly like Tony Robbins. I so enjoy this because I am a huge fan of Tony Robbins' books. I find his approach to a lot of aspects of mental and emotional health very helpful. And I enjoy a little bit of poking fun at him as well. Adam promises to remove Spike's chip once he has the Slayer where he wants her, and Spike tells Adam that Buffy and her friends are crafty. We are now approaching 10% through the episode, and that's the point where we usually see a story spark or inciting incident, something that gets the main plot rolling. Here we've got a two-episode story arc, so we aren't 10% through that, but I do think we get a story spark for the plot plot of the Yoko factor, which is Spike separating our friends, because right at five minutes, 10 seconds in, so just a little past 10% through, Adam says, friends, and Spike explains that the Slayer has pals, and if Adam wants to even the odds, he won't want the pals around, and Spike continues, plus it'll make her miserable, and I never get tired of that. Adam instructs Spike to separate Buffy from her friends, but don't hurt them. Not entirely clear about why he doesn't want the friends hurt. Maybe he thinks it would be too obvious. And he asks what Spike can do. And Spike says he doesn't need to do anything. They'll do it for him. At six minutes, three seconds in, Buffy, looking beat up and sad, returns to her dorm room. 
We then cut to Riley in that underground of the burnt out building, which might be the high school where we saw him in the last episode. Riley's not thrilled with the clothes Xander brought him to wear. He compares them to a clown suit. Then he apologizes, saying he has cabin fever and he'll feel better when Buffy is back. Xander says he will too and shares that he hates Angel. Riley says, to be fair, Xander doesn't hate the guy, he hates the curse, and claims Buffy told him everything about Angel. And I guess I shouldn't say claims because Riley believes Buffy told him everything. And he says more than he wanted to know sometimes, that Buffy loved Angel, he turned evil, he killed people, she cured him, and he left. And Riley says, interesting little curse. Xander responds, one moment's happiness. And Riley says, what do you mean? So I'm left with the question, what exactly did Buffy tell him about why Angel turned evil? And what does Riley think the curse is? Xander tells him Angel's okay if he's sad and broody, but one second of, quote, pure, real pleasure close quote, that sets him off in a, quote, kill your friends kind of way. I'm not sure this is accurate to what we've heard of the curse in terms of pure real pleasure. It's real happiness, but this might be how Xander sees it. And he goes on, and you know what makes Angel happiest? I'll give you a hint. It's not creme brulee. So this gave me the sense that Xander knew Buffy didn't tell Riley that part, and yet later he'll make it sound like he is surprised Riley didn't know. Riley looks upset as the light dawns, and he says, Buffy, sex with Buffy. And Xander says she kind of left that part out, huh? Riley says she did and explains a lot of things he wished weren't explained. Xander reassures Riley it's ancient history, but Riley is still pretty pouty that Buffy went, quote, running to L.A. to bone up on her history, close quote. Xander's sure it was boneless, but Riley's not convinced and he mopes. I'm unclear why Buffy didn't tell Riley the whole story. I talked a bit about it last time on New Moon Rising. Maybe she just didn't quite trust that he was out of his black and white demons bad, humans good place yet. So she uh, vagued up some of it, as she mentioned before when she was talking about what she told him about Faith. Regardless, we are approaching 10% through the double episode arc. And that main plot is how will Buffy prevail over Adam. So I'm not sure that we see a really distinct spark for that main plot, but there is a lot going on here. So I feel like it works. We've got Riley's jealousy over Angel, which is going to set off our storyline with the Angel confrontation. And now Spike will begin tweaking Giles as part of Adam's plot. At nine minutes, three seconds in, we cut to Giles. He's singing and playing guitar in his apartment. He sounds amazing. And he's singing a Leonard Skinner song, Free as a Bird, which includes lyrics about if he leaves tomorrow, will uh, you still remember me, that he must be traveling on. So all of this seems to fit how Giles is feeling somewhat forgotten. Spike startles him and then pokes fun at him for being a watcher who doesn't keep the door locked, which I 
think is a good point. Spike grabs a blood bag he left in the fridge and asks for Buffy. He won't tell Giles what message he has for her other than that Spike knows where to get highly classified info and files, including design schematics about Adam. It's worth money, but he won't make a deal with Giles because he doesn't just want money. He wants guaranteed protection. No killing of Spike, a year's supply of blood, and so on. And he doubts Giles can approve this deal. And when Giles says he'll tell Buffy she should agree to it, Spike scoffs and says, what makes you think she'll listen to you? And Giles says, because. Spike responds, very convincing. Giles says, I'm her watcher. Spike gives a sympathetic grimace and says, I think you're neglecting the past tense there, Rupert. He then points out that Buffy barely listened to Giles when he was her watcher. Giles has his arms crossed over himself almost in a hug. He's sitting on the edge of the arm of the couch, kind of hunched over his whole posture and body small. And he reaches for a bottle of booze when Spike says Buffy treats him like a retired librarian. And I really think Spike is brilliant here because he acts as if he's genuinely sympathetic. At 12 minutes, 19 seconds in, we cut to Willow and Tara talking about how cute Miss Kitty Fantastico is, including when she yawns, when Willow stumbles on calling her our cat and amends it to your cat, Tara tells her that the cat can be ours if you want. They talk about electives for next year, maybe drama, then talk about housing. Tara assumed Willow and Buffy would share dorm rooms again, but Willow says they haven't talked about it. She used to assume they'd be roomies through grad school to little old ladyhood cheating at bingo together, but she hardly feels like they're roommates now. At 14 minutes, 13 seconds in, Riley knocks on Buffy's door. He got tired of sitting around underground waiting for her. So, and Buffy cuts him off looking at his Xander pants and says, you join the circus? She asks if it's okay for him to be there, and Riley says, you tell me. Buffy clarifies she meant with the government after him, and he tells her he patched into their frequency so they can't sneak up on him. So this is another example of the initiative's cartooniness and ineptness as a villain because supposedly they were going to court-martial Riley. We've just heard that they want him back, and yet he just walked across campus in broad daylight and evaded them by cleverly tapping into their radio frequency. It just seems a little too easy. Buffy tells Riley Angel kind of upset her, but she doesn't want to talk about it. Riley tells her it's okay, he'll get out of her face. She says he doesn't have to go, but he does use a little humor about the clown pants saying he needs to leave, he's got to go recharge them every couple hours. At 16 minutes, 17 seconds in, Willow and Anya bring Spike army clothes so he can sneak into the initiative. The bundle includes a gun, which thrills Spike, but as soon as he points it at Xander, he gets terrible head pains, even though it's a fake gun. Xander and Anya poke fun at Spike about this, but then Spike says to Xander, 
attitude, see how far that will take you in boot camp. And Xander's confused while Anya yells at him for joining the army. Xander demands to know where Spike got this idea, and Spike claims that Xander's girly mates were having a laugh. Something about be all you can be, and then Spike says, or be all you can be. Xander buys into it right away. He can't believe that they think he's useless, but then he can't himself name anything he does where he helps out. Anya throws in, he's a Viking in the sack, and Spike says, terrific. Anya tells Xander it's because he didn't go to college. Spike again pretends sympathy, stirring the pot. At 19 minutes, 8 seconds in, Buffy is outside a cave and Forrest surprises her. They pull guns on each other. They both have these electric blasters. They're both heading into the cave to look for Adam. She's surprised she's going alone, but he tells her they're spread pretty thin. The family's been torn apart. And she asks what kind of family the Corleones. They're still arguing as they enter the cave. Forrest blames Buffy for Riley breaking away. Riley had a future until she got him to commit treason. Buffy points out that the future was torture, illegal experiments, and killing. They threaten each other. Buffy says if Forrest touches her, she'll show him what Slayer's strength is really like. Adam emerges and says that would be interesting, and we cut to a commercial. So it is a good hook that Adam appears. We return at 20 minutes, 29 seconds in, right where we left off. Buffy shoves Forrest aside so she can fight Adam, thinking she's protecting him. Her punches do absolutely nothing to Adam, who flings her away. Forrest then shoots him with the electronic blaster, but Adam loves it, absorbing the energy and becoming more powerful. As Buffy yells at Forrest to get out, Forrest instead runs to attack Adam, who skewers him. Buffy can't save Forrest. Adam fires the blaster at her until she runs through the woods, then falls down a ravine, hits her head on a rock, and is knocked out. So we're at 21 minutes, 20 seconds in. This is the one quarter point in the double episode storyline. And usually at that point, we see the first major plot turn. It comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. And we have that here with Buffy encountering Adam and learning that a blaster can't kill him. First, she can't fight him, and a blaster only makes him more powerful. All the same, this feels a little bit flat to me. Also, Forrest is killed, and I, f I feel like there should be more, I should be feeling more emotional impact here, but we already know that Adam wants to keep Buffy around, so I feel like that lowers the tension, even though this does raise the stakes, showing how hard it is to kill Adam. It is, I think, a good episode midpoint, because remember, at the midpoint, a really strong one has the protagonist fully committing to the quest, throwing caution to the wind, and or suffering a major reversal. And we've got both here, Buffy diving right into fighting Adam, and also the major reversal that even though she was fighting with Forrest a second ago, Buffy protects people, she protects humans, and she couldn't protect Forrest and in fact had to run away. That's a really major reversal for her. We cut to Spike in army fatigues. He goes down the steps in Giles' courtyard very calmly, puts out his cigarette, but then he takes a couple deep breaths, starts gasping, and bursts into Giles' apartment. 
startling Tara and Willow, and he pretends the initiative guys were chasing him and he barely got away. He gives Willow disks with data, and as she puts them in the computer, notices Tara stroking Willow's hair. Giles, slightly drunk, tells Spike he'll get paid when Willow confirms he brought something useful. So now Spike tells Giles he could have gone straight to Buffy, but he cut Giles in, let him pretend he's in charge, and quote, now you've got to wait for Red's permission to finish the deal, close quote. Spike is so good at tweaking people because this really is hitting Giles where it truly hurts him, the feeling that he isn't needed by Buffy anymore. Willow says the disks are encrypted, and Spike asks if she can fix them. Willow responds, crack a government encryption code on my laptop? Easy as really difficult pie. Spike shakes his head and says, you're not exactly the whiz these days either. God, I'm never going to get paid. When Willow protests, he tells her, your mates say you weren't playing with computers so much into the new thing. And he glances at Tara and continues, you know, you two, the whole Wicca thing. Willow is upset her friends were talking about that, but Spike tells her to focus on the computer until she keeps pushing him on what her friends said. Spike says, talking about, you know, it's a phase. You'll get over it. Willow asks if that was Buffy and turns to Tara and says, quote, because you know what she means by that. Close quote. Spike claims Buffy was defending Willow. Xander said she was being trendy. And Spike goes on, I don't know what they were going on about. Person wants to be a witch. That's their business. Again, Spike, such a master guessing at Tara and Willow's relationship and that she is worried about how her friends reacted. Willow says she knew Buffy was freaked, which is a nice callback to that conversation with Buffy in the last episode where Buffy was uncomfortable at first, but then was very supportive. But Willow quickly forgets that second part because she is worried about this. Tara, though, says Willow should talk to Buffy, but Spike draws them back to the computer, reminds them there's still a monster to fight. In the last episode, I talked about my upcoming new release, The Hidden Man. Depending when you are listening to this, it is now available or at least available for pre-order if you like detective mysteries, follow the clues mysteries, especially ones that feature smart, determined woman detectives, you might be interested in The Hidden Man. So here is what it's about. The Hidden Man, he wants his father's killer found, but his secrets kept. She vows to solve the murder no matter what. Will what she doesn't know eventually kill her? Until now, Chicago lawyer Quilcy Davis has investigated crimes, but only to help people she loves. Now she's been hired to solve the murder of a well-known class action attorney. The victim died with a secret. Quill suspects it relates to his fascination with UFOs, an interest he shared with his longtime girlfriend. But the truth is hard to come by as secrets abound and no one who knew him is willing to tell her everything even if it means a killer goes free. Quill is determined to solve the murder and prove she can succeed as a paid private investigator. But how can she find the truth when everyone around her strives to hide it? And will the secret she finally uncovers cause her or someone she loves to become the next victim? 
If you would like to check out The Hidden Man, you can find out more at lisalilly.com slash hidden. We cut to the containment center at the initiative. A demon bangs against an electrified glass wall, and one of the soldiers tells the colonel they're nearly out of room. Colonel's not worried. He calls them animals and says, just pack them in. He has no problem if they start tearing each other apart. We then cut to the command room. There are tons of frantic radio distress calls, two men down. We switch to Riley huddled in his underground area, listening into the radio frequency, and he hears the distress call. This is the start of the angel, I'll call it a side plot or subplot. And the challenge with this is that while last episode in New Moon Rising, we had multiple subplots, more than usual, but they were so well integrated and layered and affecting one another that it worked amazingly well and in fact heightened all the emotional tension, heightened the episode. Here, the angel coming to Sunnydale really feels like a pause in our Buffy Adam plot, and that feels wrong this late in the season. We're almost at the end, and this is where, as a viewer, I want the action to just be driving forward, and instead, we are sidelined with uh, Riley and Angel and Buffy, although there are many parts I do enjoy about this subplot. 24 minutes, 48 seconds in, Riley runs to the scene of the disturbance. Angel has just thrown a commando guy on the street, and we cut to a commercial. So if you had not seen the previews at the time, surprise, Angel is in Sunnydale. We come back. Angel looks at Riley and says, Riley Finn, and tells him they have a friend in common, and Riley realizes this is Angel. Angel asks, welcoming committee your idea? Riley responds, way I heard it, you were all peaceable now. You didn't by any chance go and lose that pesky soul again, did you? Angel says, don't push me, boy. I am somewhat puzzled by Angel's behavior, considering he will later tell Buffy he came to apologize and make things better. But I think back again to the fact that I will remember you in Angel's timeline didn't happen that long ago. He and Buffy, he was human. They had their just one day of loving one another, having a normal life, being blissfully happy, and it was yanked away. Now, Angel chose to yank it away, but he felt that was the only real option so he could keep protecting the world, and it doesn't mean it wasn't a huge loss for him. And he was so stunned when Faith told him Buffy had moved on. So this, I think, is Angel still not having come to terms with Buffy having somebody it might have worked out better if the commandos hadn't attacked him when he got into town. Riley leaps, of course, to the worst conclusions and asks what could have happened with Buffy to make Angel lose his soul. And Angel, apparently for the sheer fun of goading Riley, tells him that's between him and Buffy. Riley is not going to let Angel go and see Buffy. Good luck with that, Riley. They fight. 
Riley actually does pretty well. He uses his taser on Angel. He gets the better of him a few times, but Angel flings him against a few walls and then takes off when more commandos approach. Riley slinks away so his old colleagues won't see him. At 27 minutes in, Buffy goes into her dorm room far more beat up than we usually see her. She's surprised when Angel knocks on the door, and she isn't too thrilled, but she does invite him in and says she guesses he must have thought of something else really hurtful to say that he couldn't tell her on the phone. So this is particularly where this feels like a diversion from our main plot, because in terms of that, all this next scene will do is delay Buffy telling Riley about Forrest. However, I like seeing Angel and Buffy, and right now, Angel, knowing Riley's following him, stops Buffy's rant, telling her he doesn't have a lot of time. And as she asks what's going on, Riley bursts in and pulls a gun on Angel and says, I told you, you weren't coming near her. And Buffy says, you've got to be kidding me. She asks if this is why Angel came. He says, no, this was an accident. And Buffy tells him, running your car into a tree is an accident. Running your fist into someone's face is a plan. Riley refuses to put the gun down. Angel moves toward him threateningly. Despite that, Buffy gives him a look and tells him to explain to Riley that he's not going to hurt anyone. The two men trade insults. And Angel says, you actually sleep with this guy? Riley punches him. He punches Riley. And Buffy gets in between them, shoves them flying apart, and tells them that's enough. Buffy says, I see one more display of testosterone poisoning, and I will personally put you both in the hospital. Anybody think I'm exaggerating? Angel says he started, and she puts her hand out to gesture him to stop. And he does. I sort of enjoy Angel when he's being petulant and childish. It's kind of fun. Riley, also childish, stays standing, arms folded. Angel sits on the bed, which I think is interesting body language. Because on the one hand, it could be read as him showing how intimate he and Buffy still are. He can just sit down on her bed, though he hasn't seen her in forever. But it also is letting Riley, in a way, be the dominant one because Riley is still standing and Angel sits down and looks up at him. Riley says he just wanted to be sure Buffy's okay, and he also says he's sorry. Buffy tells Riley quietly she needs to talk to Angel. Oh, this is where he crosses his arms and says he's not leaving this room. Buffy turns to look at Angel, raises an eyebrow, and heads for the door. Angel follows, giving Riley a small smile. Riley does have a little sense of humor here because he says, not moving a muscle. This Angel-Buffy body language shows how much of a connection there still is between them. They don't need to talk. And it's such a contrast to Riley and Buffy, who are constantly running up against not communicating. The whole faith in Buffy's body thing, they never actually talked about it. And while it seems, as I mentioned in that episode, that we're meant to assume that everything's okay, it's not clear if it really is. And Riley's reaction to Angel suggests things are not all well. And I have to think some of that is Buffy not telling Riley things. She finally tells him about Angel, but she doesn't tell him what triggers the curse. And then we have this wordless communication with her and Angel. And in the next scene, we'll see them 
finish each other's sentences, and really understand each other eventually in an easy way we don't see with Riley and Buffy. Out in the hall, Buffy says she came to see Angel to help him in L.A., and he treated her like she was just his ex. And Angel says, well, technically, and Buffy responds, shut up. And this is part of what I mean, because Buffy knows she is Angel's ex, but Angel also gets what Buffy means, that they're more than just exes. Buffy goes on, and then you order me out of your city, and then you come here and start pounding on my boyfriend? I would really like to know, what the hell are you trying to do? And Angel, much quieter now, says, I was trying to make things better. Buffy stares at him, then she laughs a little, and he does as well, and he says, It's uh, going pretty good, don't you think? More serious, he tells her he couldn't leave it that way. He came to apologize. Then soldiers attacked. Riley came in during the middle, quote, and wasn't real forthcoming with the benefit of the doubt, close quote. And Buffy says, put yourself in his place. She also tells Angel he wasn't entirely wrong in L.A. They don't live in each other's worlds anymore, and she didn't have the right to barge in and make judgments. Angel's still sorry. She thanks him and he says next time he'll apologize by phone. He also comments on how tense things seem, I guess alluding to the military presence, and asks if he can help. She says the best thing is for him to, and he says okay before she says leave town, but she tells him it means a lot that he came. They exchange a look. He walks past her to leave, but turns back and says, oh, and Riley? Buffy says, yeah. And Angel says, I don't like him. He smiles, quirks an eyebrow, and Buffy says, thank you, and smiles. So more great Buffy-Angel interaction. As a fan, I'm so glad we didn't leave them in a bad place. At the same time, the whole Angel comes to Sunnydale seems like it is completely there because the fans wanted another crossover. The network probably wanted another crossover to try to draw more people to Angel. But it does highlight the contrast between Buffy and Angel and Buffy and Riley. We cut to Spike at 32 minutes, 58 seconds in. He enters Adam's lair and says, that was fun. He's sure he separated them. Call it the Yoko factor. Adam looks blank, though he has heard of the Beatles and likes Helter Skelter. Spike says, what a surprise. Spike tells him the point is the Beatles were once a powerful group. Everyone blamed Yoko when they broke up, but the group split itself apart. She just happened to be there. And here, kids, they go off to college, they break apart. It's the way of the world. Adam tells Spike he needs one more thing before he'll give Spike his chipectomy. Much as I love any scene with Spike, the Yoko discussion feels a little like the writer's editorializing. I don't know that we needed Spike to explain this. It could have been fun if the title was simply The Yoko Factor and we as viewers figured it out ourselves. Though I do keep in mind that at the time that Buffy aired, I don't think the episode titles appeared anywhere in the credits. So you as a viewer would not know the episode title. 
so we wouldn't get that reference. All the same, usually Buffy assumes the viewers are pretty smart and lets them piece things together, which leads to a more engaging experience. And here, this scene just feels like Spike saying, hey, let me explain what I did and let me explain the plot. And then once again, we have Adam saying, nope, won't do your chip removal yet, which he does a number of times in scenes between Spike and Adam. So it feels a little bit like filler. And I wonder if what we have here is a situation where there was too much story for one episode, but maybe just a little bit short of enough for two. So we have these scenes to fill in some space. At 34 minutes, 16 seconds in, we're back in the dorm room. Riley tells Buffy when she asks, he doesn't know how bad he's hurt yet. The night's still young, apparently thinking she's going to break up with him or confess to sleeping with Angel. And it doesn't help that she says she needs to tell him something and he might want to sit down. She's, of course, thinking of Forrest. He cuts her off, wants to talk first, and says he thought they were close. He doesn't know much about her and Angel, but if she's going to break his heart, do it fast. Buffy is shocked. She can't believe Riley assumes she slept with Angel, and he says, didn't you? Buffy is really not happy when she realizes Xander told him about the curse. Although apparently Xander didn't do a great job either if Riley thinks that Buffy would now choose to be with evil Angel. So I really, really wonder what between Buffy and Xander they told Riley because obviously some really huge things were left out. Riley goes on about how sometimes things happen between exes and when he saw Angel was bad and Buffy says he's not bad. Riley's shocked but goes on, well, there you go. Even when he's good, he's all Mr. Billowy Coat, King of Pain and girls really. Buffy tells him to stop and he concedes he's acting nuts. There's a little bit of poking fun at Angel the show here with the billowy coat thing. Riley agrees that Buffy has never given him any reason to think he can't trust her. She asks, so why with the crazy? Riley responds, because I'm so in love with you that I can't think straight. And Buffy responds, tell me about it. So this is another instance where Riley is saying he's in love with Buffy and she responds in kind but doesn't use the word love. That part works okay for me, but I really dislike the implication here that loving someone so much is what causes jealousy or the need to be very controlling. And I don't think the show means to send this message. Certainly uh, with Oz leaving last time, they acknowledged tacitly that that is not a way a good relationship can work. And in the episode way back, Beauty and the Beasts, with the comparisons or the metaphor to abusive relationships, we didn't suggest that it really was because Pete was so in love that he became so controlling and jealous. But it feels to me like a bit of an unintentional message here when Riley says that and Buffy accepts it. At the same time, I get her understanding that Riley, of course, is not always going to react perfectly rationally to everything. And also, she did leave out a lot with Angel, which could make him really wonder. Now, Buffy says she still has to tell Riley something, and she tells him Adam killed forest. Riley is shocked. He has his head in his hands. Buffy tries to comfort him. She also tells him they'll find this thing and destroy it. 
But Riley says he has to go and leaves. And maybe the whole thing with Angel does drive this part of the story. It might be part of why, rather than staying with Buffy and processing at least some of his feelings and his grief, he goes off alone, which leaves him vulnerable. At 37 minutes, 52 seconds in, back at Giles' apartment, Willow drops her hands on the keyboard in frustration. The disc is still encrypted. Buffy asks when it will be done, and Willow responds, hours, days maybe? Anyone suggesting months would not be accused of crazy talk. Buffy tells Willow the disc is no good to her unless it's cracked soon. Anya protests that they worked hard to get the disc. Xander delivered clothing. Buffy apologizes for her impatience, but she's on a clock. Then she says that Adam was at the cave. Maybe she'll go back and track him. Willow says Buffy can't go alone. If Buffy's lucky, Adam will just rip her arms off. And I guess Willow is picking a fight because she's upset over what she thinks Buffy and Xander have been talking about behind her back. But I would have liked something that felt a little more organic organic here because Buffy and Willow did reconnect last episode and also while they have been distant this season we really haven't seen a theme of Buffy going off on her own. It's not the way it was in the season two pilot where Buffy was determined to alienate her friends and go off on her own. And that became a huge issue that was then resolved. This feels like that season two episode, but without the basis for it. Although like anyone who's angry, Willow may just be picking up on whatever is handy and it takes her a bit to get to what she is really mad about. Giles, who has been drinking steadily throughout, throws in that Buffy never trains with him anymore so Adam will kick her ass. And Buffy says, Giles. And Giles says, sorry, was that a bit honest? Terribly sorry. But Sanders says Buffy won't go alone. They'll grab weapons and join her. Buffy says he can't go. He'll get hurt. Now Xander's offended and says Buffy and Willow can go ahead and do the superpower thing. Xander will just stay and put around the Batcave, quote, with crusty old Alfred here, end quote. Giles says, no, he's no Alfred. Alfred had a job. Buffy says Willow's not going either. Buffy will go alone. She really seems intent on protecting her friends here, but she is a bit clueless because she is not getting any of the undercurrents. And I'm, I'm not sure if I think that she ought to, based on this scene alone, but she she has been out of touch. So I suppose that is why Willow jumps in and says, when Buffy has her no arms, they can all be glad they weren't there getting in the way. Xander says they can help in other ways. Want some new fighting pants, Buffy? He can get her new fighting pants. And Buffy says, you guys, this isn't helping. Willow sarcastically responds, oh, wow, we're already getting in the way. Once a year, usually in October, the ebook edition of the complete four book box set of my Awakening Supernatural thriller series goes on sale for 99 cents. That time is now, so if you're listening on Monday, October 25th, or Tuesday, October 26th, you can get it for 99 cents wherever you buy ebooks. There's a link in the show notes, or you can go to Lisa Lilly, L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y dot com slash awakening box. That's Lisa Lilly dot com slash awakening box. (laughs) 
Anya and Tara exit as the friends bicker. Xander finally gets to what's really bugging him, or at least what set him off, and says they might have to ship him off to the army. When Buffy is puzzled, Xander says, you two, she and Willow, were talking about him behind his back. Now Buffy gets mad and says he's the one talking, telling Riley every detail about Angel. And Willow says, when is there any us two? You two are the two who are the two. She gestures at Buffy and Xander. Giles bursts out laughing when Xander refers to Fort Dix. Buffy asks if he's drunk, and Giles says, yes, quite a bit, actually. Buffy tells him to stop it, then says to Xander that this is stupid. And Xander is mad that she finally admitted she thinks he's stupid, and she responds, I didn't say you were stupid, so stop being an idiot and let me fix this. Which I really love because... It shows the way it is so difficult to say the right thing once you go down a certain ways on a path. And also the whole scene does show that once people are angry, everything seems to be said the wrong way. Everything is taken in the worst possible light. So what we're reaching now is the end of the episode, but also the midpoint of the double episode arc. So this is where we get a serious major reversal for Buffy as our protagonist, because she and her friends will end the episode completely at odds. And we've seen up to now in the series how having friends, having pals and close connections is why Buffy has lived so much longer than the other slayers. We've seen it ourselves. Spike has also told us that in this episode, more or less. And Buffy tries to reassure her friends she needs them, but then says she just doesn't need them right now. Willow asks how Buffy needs her, and Buffy talks about the computer stuff and the witch stuff. Willow wants to know exactly what she means by witch stuff. Buffy is again confused and asks what's happening. At 40 minutes, 50 seconds in, Tara and Anya are in the bathroom, wondering if this will go on for a while, and they agree it might, and Tara says, nice bathroom. Anya responds, I like the tile. For whatever reason, I love that short exchange with the two of them. At 41 minutes, three seconds in, we go back to Xander, who says if he did join the army, at least he might get a job that couldn't be done by a well-trained border collie. Willow asks if the umbilical cord between him and Anya could stretch that far. Xander says he always knew they hated Anya. Willow protests she's not being judgmental. She'll leave that to him and Buffy. And Buffy says, judgmental, if I was any more open-minded about the choices you two make, my whole brain would fall out. I don't love that Buffy says that, implying her criticisms of their choices, or I guess saying straight out that she does judge their choices. But she is angry at this point, too, and frustrated and confused. And Xander says, oh, and superior, don't forget that. Just because you're better than us doesn't mean you can be all superior, which is such a fun Xander line. Buffy wants to know what happened today, but Willow tells her things have been wrong for a while, and you can't handle Tara being my girlfriend. Xander says, no, things were bad before that, ever since they went off to college and left him in the basement. Then he turns to Willow and says, Tara's your girlfriend? Which shows a lot about how disconnected they have all become. Yes, Spike has stirred up trouble, but he was able to do it because they are so disconnected. Giles has gone upstairs to bed, but he yells down bloody hell. 
Buffy's had enough. She demands to know how they can help since they say they want to be part of the team. And she goes on, we'll walk into that cave with you two attacking me and the funny drunk drooling on my shoe. Hey, maybe that's the secret way to killing Adam. They don't answer when she finishes with how can you possibly help. And then she says, so, I guess I'm starting to understand why there's no ancient prophecy about a chosen one and her friends. She heads out. And before she slams the door, says, if I need help, I'll go to someone I can count on. So this scene, as I said, is a major reversal, but it feels drawn out to me. There are some really great lines. I've quoted the ones I thought were the most key, but usually our writers get to things much quicker. This, again, feels a little bit like filling time, which I feel robs the episode of some of its power. Buffy's last line about if she needs help, she'll go to someone she can count on. I guess she means Riley. I was not clear on that, especially because I don't know if Riley is someone Buffy has been able to count on mostly through no fault of his own, but the initiative has been messing with him. They fed him drugs. Professor Walsh lied to him. He turned on Buffy. He didn't answer her calls in the last episode. He understandably has not been there for her in many instances, but it's not quite clear why she refers to him as someone she can count on. But perhaps that is also the purpose of the angel scene, because while she and Angel clearly have this connection, in Sanctuary, she was clear that she felt she could trust Riley and she doesn't trust Angel. So that may be what we're supposed to draw from that. But of course, in true Joss Whedon fashion, as soon as Buffy thinks she can count on someone, we're going to raise a question about it or subvert it because at 43 minutes, seven seconds in, we cut to Adam in his lair. Someone walks in. Adam says, I've been waiting for you. And it's Riley. And he responds, and now I'm here. This also could be seen as another major reversal for Buffy, though we don't know what will happen next. But the fact that Riley is alone with Adam all by itself is serious cause for concern. Buffy couldn't fight Adam. There's no question that Riley by himself is in great danger. And then to be continued flashes on the screen. So we do think that perhaps that incident with Angel, Riley, and Buffy drove Riley to go and seek out Adam on his own. But there may be another reason, which I will talk about in the foreshadowing and spoilers section. One last note on the To Be Continued. I didn't remember when I started watching this episode that it was part one of two and didn't have a, a final ending or climax. So I kept looking for the other plot turns. And as I got within about seven minutes of the end, I thought, how how is this going to resolve? This feels more like the midpoint reversal. And then I thought, oh, maybe it is a midpoint reversal. So that is it for this episode. Other than spoilers and foreshadowing, I hope you will stick around for that. But if not, thank you so much for listening. And thank you especially to patrons who support the show. I hope you will come back in two weeks for Primeval, the season four finale, despite that there is an episode after it, where Buffy confronts Adam.
If you find the story structure I talk about in the podcast helpful and would like to apply it to your own fiction, you can download a free story structure template at writingasasecondcareer.com slash story. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. That cut to the containment center when the demons are banging against the electrified glass walls, the fact that they're all packed in, foreshadows the next episode and sets up the climax where all of the demons are loose and there are so many of them. The suit saying he wants Riley back, the government's invested a substantial and it trails off, foreshadows that there is more to Riley than we know. I'm not sure I caught that on first watch or even on most later watches that there is this hint. It's not just that Riley is like the other soldiers who all got those super serum vitamins. There's something more they've invested in Riley and we'll find out it's that he has a chip. And I'm thinking that that is why Riley goes to see Adam. Adam somehow activated the chip, drew Riley to him. I don't recall if that's made clear in Primeval that that's why Riley comes to see him, but it is definitely clear that Adam can control Riley through the chip. And I find it so interesting. I really like Riley in Primeval. I was commenting in this episode how he hasn't really been there for Buffy, which has not been his fault. The initiative has been manipulating him. But in Primeval, when he is the most controlled, when that chip is governing what he can do and not do, Riley nonetheless does absolutely everything he possibly can to help Buffy within the confines of the limits imposed on him. He finds a way to work around it. And that is really what you want to do with a character who is not as strong as others or who has particular challenges, as long as the character is doing the most they can do, they are a powerful, active character because they are doing all that they can with the circumstances that they have. Xander's comment, oh, and Superior, don't forget about that just because you're better than us. In season seven, we'll hear some echoes of that when Buffy is being psychoanalyzed by an evil vampire psych student who tells her she has a superiority complex. She thinks she's better than everyone else, but then she doesn't think she deserves it. So she also has an inferiority complex about being superior. I'm going to say something controversial here. That is in conversations with dead people, which it took me time to get to like. There are things I ended up loving about it, but my first few watches through, not a favorite of mine. But we have a while to get there. Riley's jealousy, his feelings of inferiority toward Angel, his concerns that he is not enough for Buffy, will all continue into season five. And this is something else I mentioned last week when I had talked with Roberta Lip of the They Coined It podcast 
about Buffy and Riley where she pointed out we don't really give Riley that space to deal with uh, the real life crisis he has. He loses his career. He loses his super strength and endurance, which he didn't realize were coming from this chip and from the initiative messing with his body. And he has all these fears about it. And we'll find out he doesn't think that Buffy will still want him when he's not superpowered. And probably that comes as much from him not knowing who he is when he's not superpowered. Also in season five, episode one, Dracula, he'll be sure that Buffy is in Dracula's thrall because she still has all these feelings about Angel. And I am so looking forward to talking about that. Finally, this splitting of the group really is a masterful thing to happen in the first part of the episode because it echoes our season four theme. We started with Buffy being disconnected from her friends, Xander being on the outskirts in a way, and they all had to come together to prevail over the villain in that episode. And now the whole season, they have been struggling with how to stay connected or with Buffy not realizing that she has drifted so much from her friends and them feeling it and nobody's talking about it. We go from there to they have to unite into a single supernatural force to defeat Adam. So it is such a strong midpoint to leave them where they are so split apart And it is for both real reasons and ones that Spike has to some extent manufactured. And Buffy is puzzled by it. So it isn't immediately obvious how any of this can be fixed. So what an amazing midpoint and, of course, hook to end the episode on. So that is it for spoilers and foreshadowing and for this podcast episode. Thank you again for listening and for your support. I hope you'll come back in two weeks for Primeval, where Buffy and her friends face off with Adam in the midst of a war between demons and humans. Remember, you can find back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalily.com slash Buffy Story. That's L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y dot com slash Buffy Story. Also, if you like supernatural thrillers or private investigator novels with smart, strong female protagonists, you can try the first in each of my series free at lisalily.com slash free. 